Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries, I'm John and I'm going to be talking in this episode a little bit more about property in D&D and hirelings, specifically with regards to the Lamentations of the Flame Princess rules. And this was spurred on by a voicemail received from my fellow Purple Worm podcaster, Colin Green, aka Spike Pit. You'll have heard his message if you listened to the last episode, and I just thought it was worth talking about that and delving into it a little deeper. an episode previously where I was talking about property in D&D and how it could be used to get your characters and your players more invested in your game background. Now Colin Green kindly got in touch with me and left me a message talking about the property rules in Lamentations of the Flame Princess which I admit, although I've got the Lamentations of the Flame Princess Rules and Magic book in hardback, I'd sort of forgotten about those, to be honest, because a lot of games I run don't tend to make it to that stage where the players are sort of looking around and interested in property. And for some reason, most players in my games never seem to really get on board with that whole, like, hiring henchman deal. Maybe it's they just don't want to split the treasure or the XP... Who knows, but it doesn't tend to happen. Although it started to creep in a little bit in my current Middlelands campaign. So we'll see how those things go. But we're just going to take a quick look at the Lamentations of the Flame Princess rules for retainers and for properties. Since both these sets of rules sort of mesh together pretty well. And they're obviously meant to work together. So, if we turn to the Retainers chapter in Lamentations of the Flame Princess, we can see there's a whole host of Retainers listed, going from Accountant to Armourer to Coachman, various types of Mercenaries and Sailors, Physicians, Scholars and Teamsters. And as we flip over, we can see that there are descriptions of each of these different types of Hirelings. The table itself contains the daily wage, so if you want to employ one of them on a day-to-day -day basis, that's how much you're going to pay them. And to give you an example, here are some of the costs. Now bear in mind that Lamentations of the Flame Princess uses a silver piece standard, so if you were going to convert this to like your normal sort of OSR-style D&D setting, which uses a gold piece standard, just when I say silver piece, just erase that out in your mind and substitute it for gold piece. So an animal handler, the daily wage is 14 silver pieces. A physician, the daily wage is 28 silver pieces. And a servant has 5.6 silver pieces as their daily wage, which seems a bit of an odd number, but I suppose it's not the worst thing in the world. We then have their monthly wages, and this is split into two. There is the monthly wage, if the servant is responsible for finding their own lodgings, you know, providing for themselves, etc., which is obviously a, a little bit higher because they have more considerations to take into account. They have to pay for their own house upkeep and stuff like that. There's also the slightly reduced live-in wage, and that is if, as part of the deal of hiring a henchman, you're providing them with a roof over their head, somewhere to stay, a base of operations, etc., to give you an idea of the difference that this makes, an alchemist charges a monthly wage of 250 silver pieces if they're providing their own lodgings, etc. And this falls to 187 silver pieces 
if you're providing them with a space to live. However, the different henchmen and hirelings require different amounts of space, and this is also listed. So we can see that an accountant requires at least 30 foot square of space to do their business in, an alchemist requires 15 square feet. And there's measurements for most of them, not including sailors and sailor captains, etc., since it's assumed that they'll be bunking on whatever ship they're the crew of. As I said, if we flip over the page, we get descriptions of each of them and of how these costs break down. We then move on to a section about hiring retainers. And the book says, in most civilized areas, it's not difficult to find people who are out of work. The referee will determine how many qualified applicants are available for any position. And it generally costs about two silver pieces. Now remember, that'll probably be two gold pieces in a standard D&D game to get word out at the job opening. When the applicant meets the hiring character, there are three or four factors which influence whether the applicant takes the job and how loyal they are. And those are how much money you're willing to give them, what the charisma and personal magnetism of the person doing the hiring is, what the terms of service are, you know, any bonuses and little extras they get, and whether it's a long-term employment contract and if living quarters are thrown in on it. So basically what you do is if the pay is standard, it doesn't give any sort of adjustment. For every 50% increase above standard, you get to add one to the recruitment role. And for every 10% it's below the standard, you subtract one from the recruitment role. The employer gets to add their charisma modifier, or take it off, I suppose, if it's a penalty, to the role. If the employment's going to be ongoing for at least three months, you get to add another point to the role. And if you allow them space to reside on the character's property... If you're giving them the required living space, there's no adjustment. If you're only giving them half the living space, there's a minus two. But for every 50% above the living space they require, as listed on the table, you get to add a plus one. And what you do is you take 3d6 and you roll it twice on a table that's given when the character attempts to hire a retainer. The first roll determines if the applicant accepts the position and the second roll on the table determines the retainer's loyalty or morale score. The referee keeps both these results a secret, so it should be role-played out, obviously, how the hireling responds to the, the attempt, but they should never actually know the score. And obviously, all these various factors sort of stack up, so a more charismatic person who's offering more money, has a larger property, and throws in a room and board on the deal will obviously have an easier time than someone who is a bit of a grumpy pants who's got no property to his name, expects his servants to look after themselves, and is only giving them the bare minimum of money. Now, I think these are really simple rules, but they pretty much encapsulate everything you need to know and to handle when it comes to hiring retainers. They're not the simplest I've seen. However, they are the simplest I've seen that actually allow charisma, money and property to have an impact on taking on hirelings and how loyal they are to you. Now, I know that Lamentations of the Flame Princess, for various reasons, isn't exactly the flavour of the month at the moment when it comes to OSR gaming, but I really think you have to go a long way to find rules for hirelings that are as good as this. We now move on to the property and finance section in the Lamentations of the Flame Princess Rules and Magic book. And effectively, 
I agree with what it says here. It says, owning property is a great way for characters to both spend and invest their wealth. Absolutely right it is. How many D&D games have you seen where people are lugging around huge sacks of wealth with absolutely shit all to spend it on? Now, that's part of the reason why I love carousing tables so much. It gives them something to pour that hard-earned dollar into. And obviously they get a bit of a fruity XP bonus for it. But property and sort of investment is another way of... Another outlet potentially for them to spend their money on. So... For the purposes of these rules, uh, being a landowner doesn't imply rulership over anything other than the household stat. The book lists an upkeep cost of 50 silver pieces per month for food and other essential supplies per resident of the household. A landowning character must pay 1d6% of the property's value every year for maintenance. This is increased by 1d10% if there is no accountant on staff, and by another 1d4% if there is no handyman or craftsman on the payroll. So in other words, if you've got a big sprawling pile in a fantasy city, you need to have someone to keep an eye on that stuff and make sure it's maintained. If you don't, it's gradually going to start falling to bits. And as is the case in real life, you've got to pay them taxes as well. So a landowning character has to pay 1d4 plus 3% of the property's value per year in tax, adding another 1d10% if there is not an accountant on staff. So you start to see the benefit of having certain henchmen here, the, particularly the accountant in this case. Obviously, he has to marshal your money and make sure you're not paying more than you need to. We then move on to investment, which is another method of using and hopefully growing wealth. And this is a very, very simple system. Effectively, the character gets to choose whether they want to make a stable investment or a risky investment, and they put their money into it. At the end of the year, a stable investment grows by 1d8 minus 4%, and a risky investment grows by 1d20 minus 10%. Oh, and also you can make a wild investment, which is like beyond risky. You've got money to burn. You're just going hell for leather. That grows by 1D 100% minus 50% a year. You get to add a D 10% to all of these if you have an accountant on staff. Now, if the final result of this roll is a positive number, that's how much money you gain in, as an extra return for your investment. If the final growth is a negative number, you get no money and the value of your investment decreases by that amount. These yearly returns explode either positively or negatively. So in other words, if you get the maximum number on the dice, you get to roll it again and add it on. If you get the minimum number, you roll it again and take it off. Now, at the time of the yearly return, a character can freely withdraw their investment. Otherwise, they have to pay a penalty fee on top of it. There is also a chance for any investment that it will go completely bankrupt during a given year and the character will lose all of their money. And that chance of bankruptcy is based entirely on the investment type. It's 5% for stable, 10% for risky, and 25% for wild. So the, the amount of return you can get from a wild investment is great, but that 25% chance of it going bust, that's going to sting if you've put a lot of your gold pieces into it. But again, these rules are absolutely excellent as far as I'm concerned. They give the players something else to invest their money into, tying them into the setting. And also there's an element of risk, so it's sort of like a bit of a, a mini game in there. 
but it's one that's not going to feature or sort of distract mainly from the main cut and thrust of your RPG session. So if you're interested in bringing property, investment and hirelings into your game a little bit more in an entertaining and simple way that's compatible with pretty much any LSR games. And as I say, I'll certainly be using them in future in my Castles and Crusade games. In fact, I sent a message to my players on Facebook mentioning this the other day. I would advise you check out the Rules and Magic book for Lamentations of the Flame Princess. And I believe there's still a pay-what-you-want art-free grindhouse version on drive-thru, which has the same rules in it. So, what have you got to lose, really? So, those are my thoughts on the rules for property and hirelings from Lamentations of the Flame Princess. If you have any thoughts on this, please either email me at reddicediaries at gmail.com or you can get in touch by dropping me a voicemail on Anchor. I really do appreciate the voicemails. Enjoy listening to them and we'll do my best to answer them on future shows. So, until I see you next time, take care and whatever game you're playing, enjoy yourself. Catch you soon. Uh... Thank you.